Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Free to take yourself a seat. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Brayden, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we've been making our way uh, through looking at the King who loves, um, that being Jesus coming down to earth, and so we've been making our way uh, through that. Um, before we get into it, um, if you're a kid, or maybe a kid at heart, um, there are some colouring in over there, and so if you want to um, head over there and do some colouring in, there's some great stuff over there, there's some word sleuths, um, and all sorts of fun things over there, so feel free, if you're a kid or you like colouring in, um, there's great things over there. Feel free to head over to that. Um, So uh, over the Christmas holidays, uh, it's always good to come together and get to know family a little bit more and kind of spend some time hanging out with them. Uh, And so I got the opportunity to catch up uh, with my family and share some stories. And so uh, my family's all down in Albany. I I grew up down there. Uh, And uh, as a a young family, so when I was probably maybe 12, uh, we started doing some short-term mission trips uh, over to Thailand. Um, And so as a country bumpkin um, and kind of going to Southeast Asia with very little travel experience, us as a family, uh, we took every single precaution necessary with the expectation um, that us as children, we'd probably be kidnapped, uh, we would probably be pickpocketed, uh, and there'd probably be some sort of food that would give us significant food poisoning, uh, because those are the stories that we knew and those are the fears that we had. Um, And so us as these these white country bumpkins are heading over to Thailand, uh, we are attached to our parents at all times. Uh, we have our little, you know the little um, like money pouch things that you wear around your waist? We're right up here um, under your t-shirt so that no one can possibly access your money. Um, no, all we drank was just Coke because that's the only thing that was safe that you can't get food poisoning from. So we just, we lived on Coke for however long it was just to make sure that, because all these things were dangerous, all these things we lived in fear from for a bunch of country people uh, moving around in some really remote parts of Southeast Asia. Uh, and so, but over time, uh, these little country bumpkins traveling through Thailand, we started to become more accustomed to things. Uh, and so over time, uh, we got more used to uh, what, it, what, it, what, thing, what was safe, what was unsafe. Uh, some of the expectations that we had probably weren't accurate. Um, and, and so we, we started, like I could let go of my parents' hand um, and I could walk around. There was, there was maybe some food on the street we could take a risk on um, and we weren't just drinking Coke all, all for you know, a whole month and living off that. There was things that we became more familiar with um, and we were, we were less scared. We had the waist, pack it around our waist and said, of up here, uh, and then and over time and over the as the years went on and we continued to come back, you know, I brought a wallet and put it in my pocket, uh, you know, and and it got to the point where where one day everyone gets back to the hotel uh, and Braden isn't there, they they just forgot me. Um, I'm just somewhere in this little kind of tiny little village in the middle of Thailand and they've just left me behind. I'm hanging out having a good time uh, and and think you know like I'm just a child, uh, but it's like it's actually fine. Like, it wasn't a big deal, cause like, and we got used to it over time, and we, we kind of got over uh, these fears, uh, these things that, that little country um, Albanians had kind of grew up learning and knowing about the world. Uh, things were actually okay. Things were actually okay, and, and things weren't actually a big deal, and we could travel around safely, and, and people were actually pretty good. It was a really fun experience, and it was a really 
really save time. Uh, but that being said, there are things in life, there are, there are things in life where, where when we hear something the first time or when we go somewhere for the first time, it really impacts us emotionally. Things can be really scary the first time. Things can be really daunting the first time. Or maybe something will be really overwhelming and really change your life the first time you hear something. And and over time, there's this kind of almost this numbness that comes with with hearing something over and over again or experiencing something over and over again. We wear our our little money bags up up around our chest. They drop to our waist. We transition to a wallet. Like There's things where over time, we become more and more comfortable. We become more and more kind of accustomed to what we've heard and what we've known, and it doesn't impact us in the same way that it once did. And so sometimes for us as Christians, we hear the story of Jesus the first time, and it changes our heart. It changes our life. It impacts us. It changes the way that we see the world. It, it breaks our heart to hear what Jesus did for us, and it, and it completely confuses us that God would actually send his son to die on the cross for us. It completely baffles us that God would come down as a child. But over time, as we hear that story every single time, every single year, as, as we hear the story of the gospel over and over, we become more and more comfortable with the ideas of what was actually going on. We, we talk about Jesus dying on the cross like it's just a, a trivial thing because over time, we become more and more comfortable with it. It becomes more normal. And, and the emotional reaction that we have becomes pretty average. And so hopefully today, we can, we can kind of take a little step back and start to rethink, what did we first hear What was the thing that we actually first heard when we first heard the message of Jesus? How did it impact us? How did it change our lives? Because that very thing, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us, the fact that Jesus came down to earth, the fact that Jesus took away our sins, that is the fundamental part of what we believe. It is the central thing. It is the central thing that Jesus died on the cross. That is what we come together and worship and celebrate and know. And that is the thing that drives us to be a church. It is out of response to the gospel that we go out and make disciples. It is out of response to the gospel that we seek a relationship with God. The gospel is the fundamental central thing that we build our life around. And if we become desensitized to it, it changes the, our ability to actually function as the Christians that we are called to be. And so I, I hope today, as we, as we talk about this stuff, some of it's stuff that you've heard before and some of it's stuff that you've heard over and over again, but don't listen to it and don't think about it as something that is desensitized, that, you're, that you've heard over and over again, but rather think of this as the thing that should shape you, the thing that should mold you and shape you into who you are called to be. And so we're looking at Romans chapter 5 today, uh, verses 9 to 11. Um, and this, this is how it starts. So it says that since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans chapter 5, verse 9. This is how it starts. And so immediately you'll notice there's some interesting language in there. Uh, It's talking about uh, Jesus' blood and it's talking about God's wrath. 
And so when we, as soon as we hear these kind of words and we hear this language, we're pointing back to an Old Testament sacrificial language. So in the Old Testament, uh, God, so God has always been a holy and perfect God. Amen? Like God has been a perfect and holy God, uh, and God wanted to come down and dwell with his people, but he can't be, a, like if he's a perfect God, he can't be around evil, he can't be around sin, he can't be okay with sin, and so what does he do? He sets up a system for God to be able to dwell with his people. And so each year, so God would, dwell, so God would permanently be dwelling in this temple that people would kind of be around but not actually in, and each year there was a high priest. So there's a high priest that would uh, represent God's people to God and he would enter the holy place where God was and he would bring with them two lambs. And so one lamb, all the sins of Israel for that year would be put on that lamb and the lamb would be set out into the wilderness and the sins would be taken away from the people of Israel. And the second lamb would be sacrificed, so the second lamb would be killed, its blood would be spilt, and the lamb's blood would be brought to the altar. And the people of Israel took the status of that lamb. So that was an innocent lamb, and so the people of Israel got to be an innocent lamb. And so that way, there was this way that God could dwell with his people because their sins were taken away each year by a lamb, uh, and they got the status of an innocent lamb as well. That was, that was the system. And so there was a temple where God was, there was a high priest, and there was the blood of a lamb. And that would take away, we call it atonement, where, where things kind of were made back to how they were supposed to be, uh, and God would be able to dwell around his people. Now, what happens when we get to the story of Jesus? God comes down and dwells with his people. So instead of a temple... Of, for God to dwell with his people, Jesus comes down as a child to dwell with his people, which is a crazy, like, different amount of access, right? So before, only one high priest could come in and enter and be around God, where now God has come down as a human, and, and so we have access to God that way. So that is the, the, almost like this new temple where Jesus has come down to earth. And then what happens when Jesus goes on the cross? Where do all the sins go? All sins are cast onto Jesus. Jesus takes on the sin of the world, just like the first lamb. Now, here's the thing that we, we often forget, because when we talk about justification, because this is what it's talking about, so since we have been justified through faith, what about the second lamb? Because in the Old Testament, uh, they, got, they got the status of an innocent lamb. But when it's Jesus' blood, what status do we get? We get the status of a son of God. We get the status of Jesus. And so not so in the Old Testament system, we have the, the son, so we have this lamb uh, where the sin is taken away, so just the sin of this, this small group of people who are living according to God's rules, and, and the, the lamb wears that sin and carries it away, and then they get the status of an innocent lamb. But when we come to the New Testament, it is Jesus that takes on the sin of the world, the whole world, Forever, eternally, like before and after, it is, because think about this, Jesus is more than a lamb, okay? Does that make sense? Is that a fair comment to make? Jesus, Jesus is infinitely more than a lamb. 
So when, when we talk about Jesus taking on the sin of the world, there, there's nothing that is more than that, that too much for Jesus to take, because Jesus is infinitely more than that lamb that was sacrificed. Jesus takes all of the sin of the world, every single bit of it. And then Jesus also, because of his blood, we get the status not of a lamb, not of an animal, but of Jesus himself. And so it's not just that we, we kind of, like our slate is wiped clean and that we're okay before God, but rather all of our sin is wiped away because the sacrifice of God dying on the cross is so much more than a lamb, but also our status as human beings is such that we are seen as sons of God before God. Isn't that incredible? Like, so we are seen not just as you've just made it, like God isn't sitting there being like, you were this close. Like it's no, like all of your sins are taken away. Everything is taken away because God is infinitely more than that lamb and the status that is passed onto you is infinitely more than the lamb that was sacrificed in the Old Testament in the temple. You were justified by God. And so there is, there is nothing that you can do that can kind of top that. There's nothing, there's, it's not like doing less sin kind of makes you more good or more, have more access. There is nothing that you can do that gives you a better status than being seen as son of God. Right? So you, everything bad is taken away. There is nothing that you can do that outsins what God was able to take on himself on the cross. And there is nothing that you can do to improve on the status that you have as son of God. You can't be better than son of God. You can't top that. And so this is what justification is. It's this legal thing where, where you are, the sins are taken away and you are now seen as a son of God before God. That's what happens when Jesus dies on the cross, which is incredible because we feel like we have to justify ourselves. Everything in life is about us having to justify ourselves. Every single thing in the world says that you have to earn something in order to be someone, to be accepted. You have to do something in order to be somebody where instead it is Jesus that does everything more than you could ever imagine. What Jesus done on the cross is infinitely more than what you can achieve and is infinitely more than what we could even hope for. And so when we come before looking at what Jesus has done on the cross for us, there is nothing more to be done. There is nothing more that we can improve. There is nothing for us to live in fear of. There is nothing for us to worry about in terms of what we have done or what we can do or our ability. And there's nothing that, just like the world that says, like, you have to do something to be somebody, there is nothing for you to do. Your sin is taken away and the status that is imputed or given to you is that of Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. When we, when we get to verse 10, this is what it says. So, uh, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And, and so what's happening here is we're not just legally made right before God. So justification, legal term, made right before God. So once again, sin taken away, legal status is when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, not only is our legal status fixed, infinitely more than what we could ever hope for, 
but we are reconciled with God. And not just in a sense of because Jesus died for us, we're reconciled, but through his life. So when we're talking about reconciled, our relationship with God is fixed. So it's not just God looks at us and thinks we're okay and thinks we're pretty good and therefore things are okay, but rather we are everything of that, but so much more because our relationship with God is restored. Because we have that high priest. God is that, that intermediate person that vouches for you. God is the mediator between God and man. So Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus didn't just stay dead, but rather he rose again so that he could say, I died for this person. I love them. I care for them. They are with me. So we have a relationship with God. God not only comes just to make us look good, but rather he comes down to us because he wants a relationship with us. And God does everything to reconcile us to him so that we can be with him. We are reconciled to God. Um, Verse 11. We're going quick today because everyone's got a New Year's party that they're obviously going to bed at 9 o'clock for. All right. Verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. The thing that we boast in, the thing that matters to us, the thing that changes us, is the fact that we have a relationship with God. It's not how rich or poor we are. It's not our status or our IQ or our EQ. It's not anything that we've done. But rather, it is the fact that we have been reconciled, that we have a relationship with God. The fact that God would send his son to die on the cross for us so that he would bear our sin, that he would give to us his status more than we could ever hope for and that he would mend the relationship that we long for. That is the thing that we boast in. That is the thing that we care about. That is the thing that we hope for. That is the thing that we respond to. That is everything for us. That is what we boast in, the reconciliation between us and God. Now, When Jesus comes down, he dies on the cross, he rises again. God is dwelling with us. And God is our mediator. Now, we still need a temple, right? So we still still want to be with God. And so when God ascends back into heaven, does God disappear forever? Is God no longer with us? No. So God sends what? His spirit to to be with us. And so we, like we, we now have God dwelling. So the temple now is us. So we are the temple. Right? Can you, everyone say, I am a temple? Right before New Year's resolutions, right? All right. No, so we're not focusing on that today. We're not, we're not looking at fitness. Um, okay, so, but anyway, so we, when we look at being temples, I want you to think about it in terms of Old Testament. So in, in the Old Testament... So we, we're, we're suckers for chronology, right? 
Is everyone like order is good? Um, if you're like me, order is good. Now, in in the Jewish, when the Jewish had like the Jewish people had their Bible, they had it in a different order to us. It was all out of order, um, and so they had their last book of the Bible was Chronicles. Can you believe it? Chronicles, um, unbelievable. Not in order at all. So their last book of the Bible was Chronicles. Now, this doesn't make any sense because if you read Chronicles and you go straight into Ezra Nehemiah, which is our Bible order. Um, which you all know off the top of your head because you read your Bibles all the time, um, you will notice that it's a very chronological flow. Like it literally, like the, the first uh, verse of Ezra is the exact same as the end of Chronicles. So it makes perfect logical sense. Chronology is perfect, um, which we love. But that's not how the Jews had set up the order of their Bible. Chronicles was the end of their Bible. Now, the reason for that if you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, which once again, you know so well, and so I'm not even sure why I'm explaining it, but at the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's some complaints after they rebuild the temple. So they go into exile, they come back, and they rebuild the temple. Is the temple any good? No, it's horrible. The temple is horrible. They rebuild the temple, and they're all complaining about how horrible the temple is. The temple is, is like, they're, they're, they're weeping, they're sad, because the temple never was what it once was. It's a shambles. And so everyone is lamenting that we had these good old days, David was king, everything was good, the you know, Solomon built this amazing temple and it was really pretty, and we had these good old days. And so Chronicles finishes looking at the good old days. So it gets to the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, it laments that the temple is terrible, and then it goes back, it's a flashback, just like a movie. So it's a flashback, and they go back and look at all the great things that was in the, in the time of David and in the time of Solomon. It looks at the temple and the kings and how great everything was. And it's this, almost this time of lamenting, this is what we once had. This is the thing that we once had once upon a time and when you get to the end of Chronicles, um, this, is, uh, this is what it talks about. So we're lamenting that our temple is no longer anything. And so it talks about the commission that, that Cyrus, the one that originally commissioned the temple, says this is what the Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people may, among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. And so even though this temple has already been built, this is the last verse in the Jewish Bible. And what's it doing there? It's hoping for a new temple. It's hoping for a, for a new temple. There, there's this hope that maybe one day this temple that we have will be rebuilt. Maybe one day there'll be a better temple, a temple that God can dwell in, a temple where we can, we can come around with pride and be in relationship with God, that we can be reconciled with God through this amazing temple. One day this temple is going to be there. And this is what we hope for. This is, this is the thing that we're, that we're waiting for, this new temple. Now, if you turn to the end of Matthew... Matthew 28, we love this passage. So what does Cyrus say? He says, all authority on earth has been given to me. What does Jesus say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What does Cyrus say? He's appointed me to build for him a temple in Jerusalem and Judah. What does Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations. What's the disciple? 
temple. Go and build temples. What does Cyrus say? Where, is it, where are we building it? In Jerusalem and Judah. Where, where does Jesus say to build the disciples? All nations. What is, what is, how does Cyrus finish? Any of his people may go up and who be with them? May the Lord be with you as you do this. What does Jesus say? I will be with you to the very end of the age. This is the temple that we've been waiting for. This is the thing that we hope for, reconciliation with God. Like we have, like we are now the temple. God dwells in us and is with us because of his justification. That is where the, like the Jewish Bible finishes. And then Matthew gets to the end of his story of Jesus and finishes with, go and build temples. This is the temple that you have been waiting for. This is the thing that you could only hope for. And this is something better than you could possibly imagine. The temple is here. The temple has completely changed us. We have all our sins taken away. No more sacrifices required. No more lambs to carry away our sins. No more kind of status of an innocent lamb imputed upon us, but rather God takes the sins of all things and gives us his status. God sends his spirit to be in us so that instead of living around a temple where we, we sacrifice a lamb once a year, God lives inside of us. And God does it because he loves us. God does it because he cares for us. I want to leave you with an invitation. For, For some of you, like you've been a Christian your whole life. You've heard this story over and over again. Some of you, like you, you've never made that step. You, you've never just said that I want to be a Christian or this is what, what I want to be or this is what I want to do. But regardless of where you are in that, know this. Jesus has justified you. Jesus has taken away every terrible thing that you can imagine. Jesus died for you knowing every terrible thing that you would do and didn't back out. And Jesus has given you his status through his blood, which means that no matter how sick and terrible you feel about yourself on the inside, no matter how much you feel like you fall short, no matter how much you feel like you don't deserve to be sitting here in a church, or no matter how much you kind of have these things that you hide inside yourself that you want no one else to ever know, Jesus gives you his status so that not only are they taken away, but when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And now God's spirit lives in you. You are reconciled with him in the most unimaginable way. And so I want you to sit in that Remember the time that thirst hit you. 
Remember the time that you first realized how unfathomable it was that God would die for you, that God would take your sins, that God would give you his status, and that God would come and live in you because he loves you. Sit in that space as you come into the new year. Remember who you are before God. Because from that, we become the church that we're called to be. From that, like we, we, th- that is who we need to, that, that is who, that's who we are. There's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that's, that you're called to, to, to be on top of. That, that is who you are. There's no challenge attached to that. There's no, so go and do this. That is, that is who you are. Nothing changes it. You are justified by the blood of Jesus. That is who you are. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray for us all. Um, And we're going to sing one more song after that. Uh, Father, I want to thank you that you are such an awesome God. That you're a God who would send your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, help us not to to become kind of just declimatized or unfazed or kind of unchanged by that as it continues to hit us every day, but rather each day we would get up and, and realize the magnitude of what that means. That we would just realize that this is something infinitely more than we could ever hope for. That we would realize that this is something that completely changes how we see ourselves, how we see others, how, how we kind of see the world and see you, and ultimately how you see us as well. Lord, continue to work on our hearts as you dwell in us. Continue for us to, to see ourselves as the temples that you have made us to be, Continue to to help us to see the love that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen.